for visiting. We've been going through a series called To Live is Christ, and we've been going through the book of Philippians, and today we're up to chapter 2 from verse 1. And I'm going to read to verse 11 for us, probably one of the most famous, most beloved, amazing passages in the Bible, and we're going to do it over two weeks. So today we're really only going to look at verses 1 to 4, and next week from verse 5 to 11. So open up your Bibles there, chapter 2 of Philippians from verse 1 to 11. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible with you. And I'm reading from the ESV. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Great, thanks Danny. Keep your uh, Bible open there uh, as we're going to be working our way through, as he said, the first few verses of that. Sorry, you're probably all keen to dive into the second half of that reading uh, as, uh, as it's just so jam-packed, um, but you'll have to wait for next week for that. Um, so yeah, let's just pray together as we come to God's Word and ask Him to speak into our lives for His glory and for our good. Father, thank you so much that we can gather like this freely with your word in our hands and your spirit in our hearts. Father, now as we open your word together, please take your word by your spirit and apply it deeply to our lives. Encourage us where we need encouraging. Challenge us where we need challenging. Bring us life where we need that. May our hearts be gripped by who you are today, what you've done for us and the implications of that for not just today but for every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've left the clicker down there. I think Danny's already onto it. What a fantastic associate pastor. I didn't even, before I even thought of it. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Well, you may not know this, uh, just a bit of trivia for you. It's almost 10 years to the day since we did Philippians here at GBC. 
Uh, we had just arrived, that is, the Spencers had just arrived, and uh, after the first Sunday, the second Sunday, kicked off a series in Philippians, and we called it, at that stage, Gospel People, which is coming up just in a sec. Maybe not. Ah, there we go. We called it Gospel People, being that that is also a key theme at the heart of this wonderful book. And as we did that, we focused on the fact that any church, if it is to be a biblically healthy church, will be made up of people changed by, shaped by, and captivated by, and focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, who he is, what he's done for us. That a biblically healthy church will be made up of people who are convinced that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And today as we continue to work our way through this awesome part of God's word again, 10 years later, we see these same glorious, powerful, life-changing truths that the church is made up of people saved by, changed by and captivated by Jesus. Have a look with me at verse 1 and 2. Of chapter 2. Paul's writing to a church and he says to them, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do you see it there? People saved by Jesus, changed by Jesus and captivated by Jesus is who the church of Jesus actually is. And Paul's making the point very clearly here that to live for Jesus, you must experience new life in Jesus. To live for Jesus, you must experience new life in Jesus. Or to put it another way, you cannot live for Jesus unless you are saved by Jesus. Now we're going to unpack that together this morning. Uh, remember, Paul has just exhorted the Philippians to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your manner of life or your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is, let your lives be such that flow from the gospel and draw attention to the central character of the gospel, namely Jesus. In verse 1, the focus on, is on what you have as the foundation for living for him. What you have through him as the foundation of living for him. So there's this little word that's translated either since or if. And it appears, uh, the idea is that it appears about four times. And the, the idea is this, if this is true of you, or since this is true of you, verse 1, then verse 2, live like this. If this is true of you, verse 1, then verse 2, live like this. This is how it will shape you. What are the four things? Well, we're going to look at them individually this morning. Firstly, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any encouragement in Christ. And the idea here, the word here, is the idea of being encouraged by being near to someone or by someone drawing near to you. And here, 
It is being near to Jesus and Jesus being near to you. The key phrase is in Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ, the NIV puts it this way. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. What's Paul getting at? What's this foundational uh, kind of platform that he's laying here? Well, he's getting about the reality that if you are Christian, if you've turned from your sins in repentance and put your faith in Jesus and become a follower of Jesus, then you are united to him. You are united to him. You are spiritually by faith made one with Jesus, brought near to Jesus, and he is near to you. And when that is true of you, everything else about your life as a Christian is to flow from there, from being united to him by faith. When that happens, all that he has done for us is applied to us. All that Jesus has won for us in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his pouring out of his spirit is showered upon you. New life through Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, floods into your life. Uh, You remember Jesus spoke about that in John 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. The idea is clear, isn't it? When you become a Christian, you are brought in and united to the vine, the life-giving source, and you receive new life through Jesus. Not just once, not just as a once-of, but ongoing fruitful life. Life that brings him glory. So all our spiritual vitality, so to speak, all our new life comes from being spiritually united to Jesus by faith, which happens when we become a Christian. Uh, Also, by virtue of being in Christ, which is a term that Paul uses again and again and again, especially in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, a certain and solid hope is given to us and secured for us concerning our future. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 7. We were dead in our sins, he starts with in chapter 2, but then he says something happened. That to Those two little words, but God. God did something. What did God do? He's rich in mercy. And because of the great love for, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even when we couldn't give him the time of day, even when we were living our lives, shaking our fist at him and saying, no, I will do my life my way, thank you very much. Even at that point, before we did anything ourselves, he made us alive together with Christ. No wonder Paul says, by grace you have been saved. You clearly didn't earn this. And not only that, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See it? There it is again. You are united to Christ. You're sitting right here at the moment, I think. Pretty sure my glasses aren't letting me down. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're united to Jesus, you are also seated with him in the heavenly places by virtue of being united to him. And what does that guarantee about your future? Well, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, 
Right? Put the tapes away, put the scales away, put the cylinders away, put whatever measuring instrument you've got, put it away, chuck it away. It's not going to work here. Immeasurable riches of his grace towards us in kindness, towards us in Christ. If there's any encouragement in Christ, there's serious encouragement. You see, all this and so much more is ours through being united to Jesus. And it all happens when we turn from our sin in repentance, the sin that is slowly killing us, and when we turn to Jesus in faith and dependence and trust, looking to him to save us. At that moment, we're united with Christ. And Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, through being united to him, being near to him, and him being near to you, is there any encouragement in that? Oh, you bet there is. That's not all. He continues to unpack these things. The second one is any comfort from his love. Any comfort from his love. Now the word here is to be comforted or consoled by the love of another. Maybe you've experienced that from someone when you've been distressed or unsettled. You've been consoled or comforted by the love of someone else who's come near to you. But here it's the love of God. Here it's the love of God the Father. A love that you come to know in Christ by the power of the Spirit. And again, Paul is describing our experience when we become children of God. That though our hearts may have been deeply troubled by this world, that though our hearts may have been deeply troubled by our own sins and shortcomings and guilt and fears and failures and so on, now they are deeply comforted by the love of God the Father himself. The one to whom we now cry out, Abba. Romans 5 puts it this way. This is what happens when you become a Christian. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Uh, The NIV again, I think, translates, translates it better here. It says God's love has been shed abroad. In our hearts, you know, like a like a a light going on in a dark room. Right? Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given to us. Any comfort from His love, any encouragement in Christ, and next one, obviously connected to that one, any participation in the Spirit. Again, Paul's unpacking the beauty of what it means to be Christian. It means that we are indwelt with or by and have fellowship in the Holy Spirit of God. This is the phenomenal nature of the Christian life, right? It's not just a few religious activities, is it? It's not just turning up at church. It's not just serving on a roster. It's not just not doing certain things and making sure you do other things. That's not Christianity. Christianity is being united to Christ through, the, through faith in him, the one who died for you and rose again, and receiving new life through him, receiving the spirit poured into your life through him, receiving the love of God shed abroad in your heart through him. It's participating in fellowship. Get this, friends, with the third member of the Trinity. 
God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, glorious God. We are united to his Son, the second member of the Trinity by faith. We are loved by God the Father, the first member of the Trinity and we experience fellowship with the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And friends, as you think about this, don't forget that Paul is writing to a collective here. He's writing to a group of believers and saying, this is, if this, this is true of you. If, if you as a group of people have come to put your faith and hope in Jesus, then this is true of you. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation or fellowship in the Spirit, make my joy complete, Paul says. Live a certain way because of those awesome realities that are true of you if you've come to Jesus. And there's one more. Any affection and sympathy. Now, we've come across this idea before, actually, in chapter 1, verse 8. Maybe you remember it. Paul writes... In chapter 1, verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Maybe you don't remember this. If you were here, you'd be battling to forget it because remember we talked about uh, yearning for people with the bowels of Jesus Christ, which some of the old translations translate that word. It's, it's a word that is actually talking about the gut or the intestine and it's just drawing attention to the fact that this affection is deep. It's not shallow and trivial that comes and goes with whatever, you know, with the changing of the weather. It's an affection that's deep and lasting and strong. But notice it's not only just a deep affection, it's a supernatural affection because Paul says, I yearn for you all with this gut affection of... Jesus Christ, with the affections of Jesus. It's affection that God puts there when you become a follower of Jesus. Affection for others that is deep, that is prepared to to be costly for the sake of others. That's sacrificial for the sake of others. So do you see what Paul's doing here when he continues to call them to live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel? Layer by layer by layer, he's reminding them of who they are in Christ and where their new life comes from. And he calls them to live for Jesus then as those who have these things because they have been saved by Jesus. They've been brought near to him, united to him, adopted and loved by God the Father, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Layer by layer he's showing them in a wonderful way that they have been saved by Jesus in order to live for Jesus. Jesus. So, to live for Jesus, you must experience new life in Jesus. Now, some of you know, because I used it as an, in a sermon illustration a bit over a year ago, that we bought some citrus trees last year and we planted them eventually. And uh, we bought an orange and a lemon and a lime. 
No photo today, mainly because they look much the same as they did last year. So a bit embarrassing, really. I thought they'd be eight foot tall by now and kind of, you know, lemons and limes everywhere, but not the case. But I do have certain expectations, right, for these trees. Certain expectations that I think are realistic. If they're a lemon tree, then my expectations is at some point, hopefully before I die, I'll see some lemons. Sometime. That's the idea here. It's the idea of root and fruit. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any participation in the Spirit, if any sympathy and affection, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, by being the people of God that you've become by his grace. It won't happen any other way, but it will happen when you're united to Jesus. It can happen if you see it and you pursue it with his strength. Let me ask you today, if you're alive in Jesus, if you've been saved by Jesus, then have you resolved to live for him? If you're not alive in Jesus, if you haven't been saved in Jesus, the best it's going to get is a bit of religion. Ticking a few Christian boxes every so often. Man, I probably should go to church next week. Don't think I've been for four. Probably should go. Are you in Christ today as you sit here this morning? Have you turned from your sin in repentance? The sin that is slowly killing you, even if you don't know? Have you turned from that and have you turned to Jesus in faith, looking to him to save you and actually bring you life in a way that no one else can and nothing else can at the very core of who you are to bring you forgiveness and peace with God, and solid hope, and a joy that you're trying to find perhaps all over the place, but can't find it? If not, then God is calling you today. He's calling you to real life, to true life, to salvation, to forgiveness, to cleansing, to peace. He's calling you to be his child through the son that he gave for you on the cross. Will you come? Will you come in repentance? Chucking all that stuff away? Asking for his grace and forgiveness and looking to him? You can do that today. You can turn and trust today. How good is that? If you're alive in Jesus, if you are a Christian, are you living out what you have? You know, as we heard recently about the uh, secretary of Walt Disney, whatever was it, that had all these shares, like in Walt Disney, like she was a multimillionaire and they're tucked in the drawer, but she never benefited from them. Yeah, sometimes I think we can do the Christian life like that. We have all these amazing realities through Jesus, but we're not actually leaning into them and enjoying them and benefiting from them 
as much as he would have us. Are you experiencing the encouragement that comes from nearness to Jesus? You don't get much closer to him than being united to him. I mean, you will when you see him face to face, but seated with him in the heavenly places already. I mean, it's pretty close, right? The proximity is not bad. (laughs) Are you finding comfort in the love of God the Father for you? Or like I often sometimes struggle to believe that he could love me that much? Particularly when I fail him. Can he really? Is his love really that deep? And that strong? And that gracious? Yeah, it is. Any comfort from his love? Are you experiencing and enjoying your relationship with God by the presence of God the Holy Spirit in your life? He's given you himself to dwell in you, to bring you life, to convict you, to comfort you. To assure you. I wonder, are you experiencing deep affection for others? Do you maybe maybe a good thing to try looking at other people through the eyes of Jesus? Ask him to help you see what he sees. Help you to have affections for them like he has. These are the realities that are ours as those saved by Jesus and the question is, are you enjoying them? Will you ask God to bring them home to you today if you're not? That they may land more in our lives. Because when these things land for us, they will shape us, which is the second thing I want us to see this morning. When Jesus saves you, he begins to shape you. When he saves you, he begins to shape you. And we see that in verses 2 to 5. So Paul's established that they are followers of Jesus, that they're united to Christ. And then he says, well, in light of that, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind or of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Any of you wishing that wasn't in this text right now? Because when Jesus shapes you, these things are meant to happen. One of the first things that's meant to appear in us that probably wasn't there before is unity. Unity or oneness. If we are being shaped by Jesus, then we'll see it in our unity. And yes, there's lots of talk about unity around and some of it is not very helpful at all. Uh, It's not talking about biblical unity. It's talking about a unity that seems to be unity for unity's sake. So unity is the primary thing. Well, that's not what we have here. The gospel is the primary thing. The truth about Jesus, his death and resurrection, his word and so on. And so the unity that's spoken of here is unity that's created by the gospel. That is when God brings us to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus, guess what? There's a whole lot of others who came too through the same way. 
through the death and resurrection of Jesus and we, we look up and see our Father and we look to one side and to the other side and we see, oh my goodness, there's brothers and sisters here as well. We are children of God. We have the family of God. And there is this unity which includes having the same mind about how we got here. The same mind about the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means to us and for us. The same love that we've experienced from God through the Son in the power of the Spirit that we then have for one another. And then there is this this full accord spoken of here where we're almost bound together in 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 the same direction and of one mind. This is what happens when our lives begin to be deeply shaped by Jesus. No matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what age we are, no matter what ethnicity we are, no matter the colour of our skin, this is gospel unity. Make my joy complete, Paul says, by having this kind of unity. The second is in our humility. So it starts getting a bit harder now. Unity, yeah, I can probably pull that one off. Humility, mm, not so sure. This is where the power of the gospel is really seen, right? Because this is not natural. This humility is not natural. It's supernatural. I mean, listen again to verse 3. What does it say? Do nothing from selfish ambition. You know, occasionally, it doesn't say occasionally, do something that's not from selfish ambition. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or vainglory, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Really? How on earth, emphasis on earth, as in this fallen, broken, sinful, self-centred world, is that going to happen? Because our natural tendency is to do that, right? Our natural tendency is to be full of self-ambition and often with a kind of competitive edge. doesn't matter who gets in the way. I don't know whether you remember that show uh, Shark Tank. You've got these three head-kicker, cutthroat, successful business people at the front. They're the heroes, by the way. They're the heroes of our culture. And then some poor, uh, you know, nervous business entrepreneur comes in with his particular business plan and the time is spent satisfying the self-ambition of the sharks. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? Should I invest in this? How much profit can I kind of squeeze out of your business proposal and maybe let you have 20%? And depending on the answer to that question, I'm in or I'm out. Based on this and the fact that I'm only going to reap this, I'm out. That's our natural human default, friends. How do you turn sharks into servants? Paul is saying this is not to be our modus operandus. What do I get out of it? 
What's in it for me? And if, I've that, if the answer to that question doesn't satisfy me, I'm out. Lucky Jesus didn't think about that. Although there was the, you know, the passage in Hebrews which says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So maybe that's the kind of what I get out of it we could have. <gasps> People standing around the throne before Jesus fully redeemed. <sighs> if I get that out of it, if I can be part of that happening, I'm in. I'm in. Count me in. What does Paul say? What is my joy and crown of rejoicing? Is it not you in the presence of Jesus? I think that's the same as what Jesus was doing, right? We are called to humility, knowing that all we are and all we have comes from God. And that all we are And all we have is meant to be given over and devoted to the praise and glory of God. And this happens when our lives begin to be deeply shaped by Jesus. This happens when we repent. When we repent, turn from, resolve to turn away from our pride. And considering ourselves better than everyone else. Those plebs down there, if they just could be like me. And that happens when we're humbled in the presence of the glory of Jesus. And when we are stunned that though we deserve his righteous and just judgment, what we have experienced is his breathtaking grace at the cost of his life. When Jesus saves you, He begins to shape you and it's seen in our unity, it's seen in our humility and it's seen in our ministry. Again, this kind of flows on from verse 3, but have a look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. We're called to look out for the interests of others. Now, at first glance, that sounds fairly straightforward. I can maybe care for someone every now and again. Oh, there's a need. I'll meet that need. But look at the model. (laughs) What's the model? The model is verse 5 to 8, isn't it? And Paul says, if you're Christian, you've got this mind in you. That's also part of being saved, that you have been given the mind of Christ. And what is it about him that's emphasised here? That though he was glorious, God the Son, we'll look at this next, next week, he didn't hang on to that. But he was born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No one looked out for the interests of others more than Jesus, right? No one. And he did so by laying his life down for us. That was his ministry. 
He said himself in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when Jesus begins to shape us, having saved us, this is what it's meant to start to look like. We start to look, we start, we start to look out not only for our own interests, but the interests of others. We start to joyfully serve others. We start to sacrifice for others. We start to be prepared to embrace personal cost for the benefit of others as we become like Jesus, the one who gave himself for us. To be saved by Jesus sees us being shaped by Jesus. And in these three ways, in unity, in humility, and in ministry. How's Jesus going shaping you? Is he having difficulty? (laughs) Is it proving to be a tough job? Or are you going with him? Are you, are you aware and conscious of the fact that you are a work in progress and he is wanting to make you more like him and you're glad of it and you want to welcome it? Or are you kind of, you know, kicking against it? Maybe one of the shows that many of us watch or have watched is the show Fixer Upper. Um, Perhaps you've seen it. I can't even think of their name. I think his name's Skip. Chip. There you go. See, I haven't watched it for a while. And what's her name? Joanna. See, everyone knows Chip and Joanna, right? They're almost like they're part of our church. No, not not really. Um, (laughs) They are part of a church, I think, but not ours. You know the show. They find a house. It's a mess. They renovate it. You know, Chip jumps through walls and knocks things down and somehow makes them look wonderful again. I don't know how he does that, but anyway, he does it. And then there's that moment at the end where there's the big photo on two kind of trolleys at the front of the house. It's the photo of the old house and Chip and Joanna on either side. Are you ready to see your fixer-upper? And the couple's like, yes. And they pull it back. (gasps) everybody's happy, there's tears, everybody's so joyful, it's happy ever after, so beautiful. And you can watch it seven times a week if you want. (laughs) Friends, at at the end, Jesus is going to do something awesome. He's been in the renovation and renewal business longer than anyone. And one day he is going to pull back the screen. And there's going to be a multitude that no one can number. From every tribe, nation, language and tongue. And every single one of them is a person who he began a good work in and he brought it to completion. And now you stand back and your breath is gone and your jaw is hitting the ground. That's a fixer-upper on a whole different scale. But until that day, the renovations continue 
in the lives of those who turn to him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? He who begun a good work is going to bring it to completion, which means he's at work now. This second in you by his spirit to get you there so you can take your place in that crowd. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. What did Paul say? Maybe take this home. What did he say? Make my joy complete. He's already said something about joy early on. He says, I thank God for you with joy every time I remember you. Now make my joy complete. Welcome what God is doing. Go with it. Lean on him. Enjoy the fact that you are united to him. Rest in the love of God the Father for you. Enjoy the fellowship and the relationship with God by his spirit. Have those affections. Ask God for those affections for the people of God. Be of one mind in your unity. Walk before Jesus, your glorious King, in humility and serve him no matter what it costs. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are, what you've done for us, who you are to us, how you've united us to your Son by faith as we turn to him in repentance and trust, how you've given us your Spirit, shed your love abroad in our hearts that we might be the people you've called us to be. Father, help us to respond to you this morning with praise, with joy, with confidence, with hope, perhaps with repentance and confession. Help us if we're resisting what you're wanting to do in our lives to yield to you. If we were not aware of what you're wanting to do and that you're at work in our lives, help us to rejoice in that and and welcome it. Help us to complete one another's joy by growing in Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.